Hey everyone, you are listening to Kesara Sara with me, Sarah Ann Lalonde. I'm a teacher candidate studying at the University of Ottawa, sharing my journey into education with the world. Enjoy this episode. So, good evening everyone. It is a wonderful Thursday night here, and I am super excited because I get to speak with some teacher candidates on Kesara Sara, and this evening they are coming from Lakehead University in the well at the Aurelia campus. Um, I recently connected with them uh, in their media and digital literacies class um, with Helen DeWard, who I also just did a podcast with um, last episode, so you can go check that out, uh, episode thirty-five. And so tonight, I want to know what it's like being a teacher candidate. Um, not only in Helen DeWard's class, but at Lakehead University. So I will get fabulous guests to introduce themselves. So I'm Jonathan Cowper. I'm a teacher candidate for Lakehead in the Faculty of Education. I am Madison Prinson, also a teacher candidate in the Faculty of Education. Woohoo! So what kind of program are you guys in at the Faculty of Education? Because I'm assuming, and what from what I've heard, is that you are not in the two-year program. Is that correct? Yeah, we're actually in the last and final year of the Legacy program, which is only run for one year. Okay, so what does the Legacy, Legacy program consist of? Um, Legacy program for us is a one-year program where we do nine weeks of, like, the, the equivalent of teacher boot camp for nine weeks. <laughs> I love it. It's accurate. Yeah. And then they let us leave for five weeks in a placement. And then we just finished our placements at the middle of December. And we're back now to do another nine weeks of teacher boot camp. And they'll let us loose again for another five-week uh, placement. And then we'll be done. Mm-hmm. And then your qualified teachers. Woohoo! Are you guys excited? Definitely. Yes, I'm very excited. I can hear the enthusiasm. We're so close, guys. I'm in the same boat as you. I'm in my my last year of two years. So I think that seeing that light at the end of the tunnel, for me, it's at the end of April. I don't know. When do you guys end your placement? I think mid-April. Yeah. 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 Cool. So you guys have already had placement, um, which is something that I'm excited to speak to you all about. Um, but first, I want to talk a little, about, a little bit about your media and digital literacies class, because this is a class that you've had since September, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I am so jealous because I have one tech class, let's say, how to basically integrate technology into the classroom. It's like a hybrid class and I have it for only five weeks. And like I'm in my condensed semester right now um, until February. So I'm doing kind of the equivalent of your class, but a lot less intense and I'm probably learning a lot less than you are. So what Helen was telling me about made me very jealous because you guys are getting so much hands-on experience with tech tools um, mm-hmm. and, you know, all, all the ed tech stuff and so much more and, and talking about digital literacies and, you know, um, like your digital footprint and being a global citizen and, and your portfolio and your digital persona, like the list goes on and on and on and on. So I'm wondering what is something in your class that you've learned 
or a tool that you've had that you are looking forward to actually implement once you're in your practicum? (laughs) Okay, so I'll go first. Yeah. What I've been using, we started off at the beginning of the semester and Helen wanted to teach us about blogging. So we are all using different programs. Some are using Blogger, some are using, what are you using? Uh, I'm using Weebly. Weebly, there's lots of different ones. And I have been to two Google summits myself. So I wanted to try something related to Google. And at the beginning of the year, Google had come out with um, the newest version of Google Sites. So I wanted to experiment a little bit with that. So I started to do my blog on Google Sites. And that's been really, really interesting for me. I love it because I have a Chromebook myself. And so Mm. I love to be able to directly take all of my Google Docs from my drive, anything from my drive, and import it directly into my blog or my site. Um, And it's very easy to navigate. And so that's something that I'm really excited to take into the classroom because it's very easy to use, um, very easy to navigate with the drive. And that's something that lots of students are using these days, especially in our board in Simcoe County. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to be able to take that in and maybe with the older grades, we could maybe make one or with the younger grades, I can make one, they can follow it. Or really, it's a huge accessibility tool that I've been able to play with a little bit in this course. And it's taught me something new and a new skill. And um, so I hope to be able to use that eventually in the classroom. That's really awesome. Maddie, just a quick question. Have you heard of um, becoming a certified Google educator? I am on unit four of the first um, level of becoming a Google educator. That's super exciting. Okay, just wanted to make sure. I got my, I passed my level one and my level two, and I'm going on to hopefully um, submit my video to be a Google trainer. So that's um, that's 2018 right. goals. Yes, I hope to be there also too one day. <laughs> Woohoo! That's super exciting. Okay, Jonathan, what is your um, in French, we call it coup de car. So it's kind of like your, your go-to. What, what's that ed tech tool or strategy or thing that you want to use in your, in your placement? So I'm a big tech guy. Um, I think it's because my background is actually in cinematography when I originally trained. Um, so I, I find when I'm in Helen's class, she is uh, making it so that I can use the knowledge I have in a professional uh, space and being able to shift it into a space where kids can take advantage of what I know. So my big thing is learning about how kids can take photography and make them into memes, or kids can be able to use Twitter effectively or use uh, other social media platforms so that they're not just um, making random videos, but they're starting to you know make videos that have a reason, a purpose. Who's the audience? Where is it going to go? Who's going to view it? What's the interpretation of those videos? So I, for me, Helen has really pushed the envelope on what I should already know, but being able to take that knowledge and put it in front of students and making them know and how, how they can understand. Um, other than that, I, I'm big on uh, trying uh, Adobe's new Spark program. Uh, it was me on, on placement. Um, I'm a big Adobe guy, but I'd never heard of Spark. Um, I think it's an awesome tool to get kids started on. Uh, yeah, like the web-based 
um, website where you can make like graphics and posters and videos and stuff? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, Very similar to like Canva or PictoChart or all those other tools. Exactly. Uh, I just, I'm familiar with the Adobe Suite. And for me, it's easy to get those kids involved in that type of atmosphere. Okay, so this is my next question. Um, why is it important for you both individually, or you can come up with a collaborative answer on this one? Why is it important for us as teacher candidates to go into placement and bring in these tools into the classroom? And I, I, I say that because sometimes our associate teachers may not have this kind of mentality and are very traditional in their teaching ways and do not see the value in bringing all of these tools that can help with all of these different global competencies like collaboration and communication and creativity. Why do you think it's important for you guys to, to hold that role when you go into your placement? I think for me, um, I have kids of my own and it's mm-hmm. my kids to um, have the ability or the, the, the possibility to be able to work with tools like video cameras and photography and work on computers and do programming and, and these tools. And then when you get into a school like I was just recently in, you see some of the students that don't have that possibility. They don't have those opportunities to work at home and and, and work with those type of tools. So I think it's, in my perspective, uh, a responsibility I have to be able to share that knowledge with students um, because they don't have that opportunity. And I was, I was fortunate because the associate teacher I have was big on technology too. And I, I'm going to pull a, a quote from her is that it's better to teach them the tools they're going to need for the future than hope that they'll learn it further down the line. Absolutely. And something that I can add to that is that, um, These tools, well, us as teachers, we're teaching students how to be able to succeed in society one day, and these tools are something that they're going to be using. And um, a video that I love, I actually used it in my thesis, um, uses the term moonshot thinking, and I really Mm. love that when we're thinking of our students because we want to be able to encourage them to shoot for the stars and bring new ideas that somebody has never had before. And bringing tech into the classroom gives them just that extra bit of opportunity to be able to come up with those ideas because it gives them the accessibility and it gives them the research and it gives them these new tools. And um, it's building a foundation of a new kind of learner, the 21st century learner, and um, helping students to reach farther than maybe they were able to before, which is really, really cool. Yes. Oh, wow. This is – oh, I – this is also good. Okay. So uh, this has got me thinking about, um, like you guys said, the 21st century learner preparing our students for tomorrow. Um, I recently was at a conference where um, the pre-conference was how do we prepare our students for the school of tomorrow? When we don't actually know what the school of tomorrow is going to be or what the jobs are our future students are going to have when they are adults. So as a teacher candidate, this is something that I have been reflecting on quite um, thoroughly 
because we have such a huge responsibility, like I just said, to prepare our students for jobs that we don't even know exist yet. And here's a question that I've been asking myself is what means can I take to make sure that I am preparing these students for the future, for their future, and I'm not, you know, teaching them like I've been taught in my past, you know, like taking the old traditional ways um, and, and creating that whole new mindset about looking for new challenges. And like you said, moonshot thinking, thinking of innovative ways to solve new problems to problems we don't even know exist yet. So what do you guys think about that? How do we, how are we going to grasp that? I think that we, <laughs> I think that we are a, a bit of a, a dreamer at times when, when we think that we can uh, teach them everything they're going to need for the future. I think right. that in this day and age that it is better for us to get them thinking about technology, using technology, and critically thinking how to solve problems with, the, with those technologies so that they're comfortable in the future to fall onto those, those, te- those tools and hopefully solve those problems in the future. Um, you get kids in, in classes right now that, um, for example, I had students that I, I had them doing stories. Um, instead of doing the traditional, I want you to write it all on paper and, you know, you need to present this story to the class. I wanted them to take their story and basically present it to the class in any form of medium they wanted to do it in. And at that point in time, the kids were then able to use their own imagination and solve the, the, the problem of presenting their, their story. And for some kids that just simply were not capable of writing very well, um, I watched them make stories that were phenomenal. Um, and it was simply on the basis that they had technology at their hands. Maybe some of them didn't know how to really use it at first, but by the time we were done making those stories, they were more comfortable and they presented awesome stories. So for me, that that's that's giving them the access and the tools to use to solve their own problems. And you're mm-hmm. going to see it in the future. I think yeah. also something for me that I like to think about is that um, through technology, we're given the opportunity to bring the real world into the classroom on a daily basis. And so, for example, my internship in this media digital literacy class is with the Digital Human Library and A Kid's Guide to Canada. And these organizations work to connect students and classrooms with experts all around the world. And so engaging students in um, the real world, bringing the real world into the classroom, letting them get um, a sense of what's going on outside and what are the big things that are important that we need to be learning about is huge to be able to prepare them for the future. If we are teaching traditionally and we are not going and taking risks to be able to engage students in the new learning and the new things that are happening in the world, we're not going to advance them to be ready for the future. But if we're consistently trying our best to give students the opportunity to be able to engage in using the outside world in the classroom, then it betters their chances to be able to succeed in that. And with technology now, and especially with Google Apps and um, all of the different things that we're now provided with and having iPads in the classroom and Chromebooks in the classroom and smart boards, we're better able to connect with the real world. We have it at our fingertips now. 
Yes, uh, 100%. Teaching outside of the four walls of our classroom is something that I think that we as well, I want to say millennials, but we as new teachers coming into the classroom and all of the um, training that we're receiving, we're seeing all of this value, right? And I think it's like you you guys touched upon this and I, I just want to bring it back to the word of all those like global competencies that we want our students to um, grasp and, and master and, and start working on. So it's not so much about the content that we are trying to teach them, but it's exactly like Jonathan said, being a problem solver. It's exactly like you're saying, being a global citizen. It's about critical thinking and communication and, you know, managing your your digital footprint and all of those things. And I think it's really important for us to be having this conversation right now. And it's really exciting, actually, to be having this conversation with, I feel like, like-minded people like myself, because I don't know if it's all of us teacher candidates that feel this way. Mm-hmm. What do you guys, what is the, what is the vibe in, at your faculty of education? Is everybody on like the gung-ho ed tech train or is it like, are we the black sheep? So I think Jonathan and I are pretty much the only ones who are <laughs> very interested in the tech. We are referred to in our, our cohort as the techie ones. There we go. We've all found each other. <laughs> so happy. Um, so even in our media digital literacy class, we don't have a full class. There's a lot of students from both cohorts. But even then, when we first started in our class, there were some people who were like, I don't want to have to get Twitter. And oh. they don't realize the importance of networking on Twitter. And some people are terrified to step out of that comfort zone and to get involved not necessarily in the personal side of social media, but in the networking as teachers side of social media. So especially here, we love Helen because she's been wonderful to accommodate our interest in tech. And I think that we might be the only ones. (laughs) Yeah. I I see in, in a lot of our classes that, you know, the computer problem comes up and, you know, everyone turns heads toward me or Maddie. Yes. Um, I've seen on several occasions, just even in the faculty of ed program and and, uh, for myself just before it, um, the whole campus here on on Lakehead runs on Google Drive. Um, Every student. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Our our whole entire campus runs on Google Drive. Um, Every student is given access through a Lakehead Google email. Um, They are given automatically access to their own Google Drive. and I found on a regular basis, <laughs> students just didn't know how to use it. Like I, I found with group projects, mm-hmm. hey, we have Google Hangout we can use. We don't have to have face-to-face if we don't need to. You know, Some kids had to go back home and you know, we could still have these conversations just over their heads. This is not something that um, they were taught when they were in, in high school. They weren't taught in public school. And then all of a sudden to be con- confronted with these technologies, it, it just boggled them. We had one teacher in first semester who used Google Classroom with our class, and I am very familiar, and Jonathan knew of it, but all of the other students had no concept of what the power of Google Classroom held and how to use it and how to navigate it, and the entire semester was just trying to figure out 
how do I get my own doc? And then how do I hand it in? And oh, I can just click that. And it was just, it was very interesting trying to navigate through that together. Control chaos at its best. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know where to go with this because A, I want to say like sometimes we assume that everybody because we grow up in this tech age, right? We just assume that Google's pretty user-friendly. You can more or less figure it out. You know, Google Classroom isn't a complex interface. Mm -hmm. You know, let's not get, um, don't get me wrong. Um, So it's funny that, and I I do see it in my classrooms as well. um, We assume that everybody knows how to use Google and that is not the case. This brings me to the next question that I'm asking myself. How has Google changed your uh, like B.Ed. or Faculty of Education or Teachers College experience? Because I know that it has changed mine, especially not living in the city where I go to university. It has saved me so many road trips up to Ottawa to do group projects. Google Hangouts is my best friend. Google Docs, all that collaboration piece. Um, So how has Google, all the Google G Suite for Education helped you in your BN and how do you um, maybe plan on using it with your students? So for me, I've been using Google uh, in the Google Suite for a number of years, even before going to the university. I used it as part of my business uh, for video production. it, it became a, a bit of a brick wall for me when I had to go on placement and I found out after using Google for so long and that was always my go-to for writing documents and presentations and you know writing budgets in, in, in the spreadsheets program mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden we don't use Google in this in this board and I was went, it a Microsoft school yes it was no and I went <laughs> okay how do I do this and I, I literally I had to try to figure out how I could make use of Google where I could and then almost have to relearn how Microsoft even works. I mean, it it looks the same to a certain degree and it has a lot of the same things, but when you get used to it and you're just so good at using it and then being so versatile, I ran ran into more more roadblocks working (laughs) with the Microsoft suite than I did with the Google suite. And it, it, it really makes you think like, how does your workflow and, and when you start learning those workflows, how do they affect you? Uh, yeah. Oh, I would be so less effective and efficient if I had, if I was forced to use Microsoft. Oh, I, I will admit it like straight up right now. Microsoft, so there's that. <laughs> Google is like a game changer. It's a whole game changer, really. Which for me was like, okay. So I've got to be able to get this document to my associate teacher. How am I going to do it? And for Microsoft, it's not simple. Like it, they do not make it simple. I can't just be like, okay, I'm going to type the email address and now you got it. Yeah. Where, you know, you're used to it with the Google suite. It doesn't matter what it is. There you go. You can share it. Not a problem. Absolutely. It all works so collaboratively together. So flawlessly is what mm. I find the best part of it. And for me, I used it before. I have gone to two Google summits since I started my my first year of university. And uh, honestly, if you're a teacher and you have not been to one, use your PD money and go to a Google <laughs> summit. It's amazing. Um, it changed my life. It changed my whole philosophy of, of education, hands exactly. down. And learning interesting things like how to write report cards with Google Forms or how to 
use Google Maps in a novel study and really, really cool things like that. But for me, I had used it before. I love using it. It's so easy to navigate. I actually went from a Mac to a Chromebook because one, I knew they were using them in the schools and that I'd be able to connect with the students if I had the same computer. And also, I have found it much easier to navigate because it's all in one system. It's all together. So it's been really interesting for me. You mentioned Google Hangouts and um, I use that often because my internship is with people who aren't in this city. And so I Google Hangout with them once a week, at least each of them. So I do do two Google Hangouts a week and um, connect with them. And so if I didn't even have my Google apps, I wouldn't even be able to connect with them at all. So that's really cool. Yeah. Wow. Uh, It's crazy to think how we function before Google. Like, Sending a document, a Microsoft Word document, or, or even a Corel. I don't know if you guys use Corel, but back in the day when I was in elementary school, <laughs> I remember the know, word. Yeah, you would, you know, type out your project and then send one version to your friend, and they would add to it, and they had to make sure they sent you the newest version. And oh dear, like I, it, it blows my mind. So I can only see us progressing in all of this and it's exciting and you know with the google home now and like there's so many amazing things happening and we just keep moving forward and it's really exciting so spinning this um we're just we're changing the game now so i want to talk about twitter maddie had mentioned it previously um and how there was even some kind of pushback from students and we also had to we had to get a, a Twitter account for one of my classes last year mm-hmm. and oof I felt really bad for the teacher because there was tons of, of of teacher candidates who just wouldn't get on and didn't see the value and it didn't give it a chance right and that could have been for many different reasons but it it doesn't really matter but I want to talk about the the good of Twitter edu and if you guys have any like success stories or any value that value that you have found in using Twitter as an educator more specifically um, because I live on Twitter I literally live on Twitter I live and breathe on Twitter I connect with educators from all across Canada the United States and the world on a constant like basis I wouldn't be talking to you guys if it wasn't for Twitter like. There's only good things. I feel very supported and, you know, the power of your PLN, your professional learning network. Like, where do you guys want to go with this? Tell, talk to me. <laughs> I'm getting the hands, so I guess I'm going to talk. Okay. Um, I used Twitter before, but not maybe as often. So I, when I first started this year, I started a new account that was going to be my professional teacher account. And so I kind of started over with building my PLN and building my networking and teaching. And I, I have been following a lot of teachers and educators that I find value in what they're posting. And I've um, been connected with um, my internships and I've been connected with other students here and with the faculty here. And together that environment is growing and we're sharing together and we're communicating together. And even being able to find you and connect with you before we did this was really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't feel like mine is that developed yet, but I look forward to getting there in the next year or so as I start um, my teacher journey actually in the field. So it'll be really cool to see how Twitter plays into my classroom life. Yeah. And you're so right because I can't 
say that we should assume that, you know, you're going to get on Twitter and you're going to post your first tweet and 30 people are going to like it and you're going to get, you know, tons of retweets and, you know, reply tweets. Like it doesn't work that way. It does take a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of activity, but you can't just get on Twitter and send out your first tweet and say, oh, well, Twitter doesn't work. Nobody answered. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that that engagement piece. Whether, And I'm not saying that everybody on Twitter has to um, actively be connected with others. If you're somebody who doesn't have a lot to say or doesn't want to share on, on social media, on Twitter, you can just go and like and retweet and um, kind of – I don't like the word lurking, but just observing and taking in what you need because Twitter is very um, all that individualized professional development. You can go and look up whatever you need or whatever you're curious about for your classroom on Twitter, Mm. um, which I think is super impressive. And that's one of the things that I like the best. Um, Jonathan, how have you seen Twitter kind of either affect your professional practice or your teaching practice or just in general? Um, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I was not the first one to jump on the Twitter bandwagon. Um, and that's totally cool. I love that you bring that to the table. I, I, I used it in a, in, a, in a business sense for a while. Um, I just never got the hang of it at first. Um, that being said, when I first came into the, the ed program, um, we were asked that we have our own professional Twitter. And I think from there, I have, I've been um, exploring a lot more into it. Um, I use it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, I think the biggest thing is, is realizing that it's not like other social medias where you constantly have to put up junk and hope that people like it and try to spread it. it I found it more fine-tuned. I, I, I found that the people that I have now in my PLN are people that I want to hear information from, not just mm-hmm. random sound bites or random uh, pixels that I really don't want to see. I, I, I'm just not interested. And I think now that I've actually pulled away from other social media platforms and have engaged myself more in Twitter because I want to show other educators what I'm doing in a classroom or what yeah. I've learned and, and being able to share with my classmates or with other people that I've already started building into my PLN. And I, it, it just goes to show it works because otherwise we wouldn't be talking with you today. 100% because I love the fact that as teacher candidates who I could say we just live in our, in our bubble, like of our faculty. And I just know the 30 people in my cohort and I would just naturally connect with them and talk about, you know, what placement and all that fun stuff is like with them. But because of Twitter, I can see that Jonathan, you're using, you know, in November you were using Ozobots and a makey makey at the robotics club. Like I can go and look and see and say, Hey, maybe um, I'll DM you and say, you know what? I'm really interested in using Ozobots. What is that like? You know, how do I get them? Is it easy to work? You know, what class did you integrate it in? Like, it it gives me that accessible connection to you. And I know something that I wouldn't have known otherwise. And it's fun to be able to share those really cool experiences that we are, are living in that you know, we're probably putting a lot of effort into as teacher candidates as well. And for employers to be able to go 
on our Twitter profile and basically see it as a professional portfolio in a certain sense. Um, I think that's a huge asset. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really exciting. The One of the last things I wanted to talk about and touch upon was podcasting because um, naturally that's how we got connected. You guys are on the podcast right now. It's super exciting. And I've heard from a few little birds that it's a possibility for you both, either professionally or within um, your practicum with your students. Why would you be interested in jumping on the podcasting train? I've, I've sat on other podcasts before. Um, I've had friends of mine that have been interested in podcasts. Um, at first, I, I didn't really see too much of the value in it. I found that sometimes it was just people talking and it was talking heads and there was no drive or reason. I think that is just because of the early age of podcasting. People didn't really know what they wanted to talk about or what they could share. Now, uh, I'm definitely looking at it from a from an education standpoint. I think that um, if you can be able to have a message that you can share to other people that can be helpful, um, it's definitely a good tool. Um, and it makes it uh, a lot easier uh, production-wise than, say, what I what I originally trained for yeah. was, you know, video production. And, mm-hmm. you know, running a talk show – versus running a podcast is significantly easier, lower cost, and the message is just as important. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. <laughs> and I have no video skills, so here we are. <laughs> I think for myself, um, I right now am in the process, I know I talked to you about this a little bit, um, of beginning a podcast for DHL as a part of my internship. And when we first started talking about in media digital literacy about Looking into podcasting, I was initially interested in it because it doesn't have the aspect of showing your face all the time, mm. which makes it easier to and and less um, pressure on you because you're not worried about so many different things. You're just able to, like as we are, we're sitting in a classroom and we're talking into a microphone and we're just having a casual conversation and that's what it is and it's much easier, I guess, for me and my personality to be able to have that and not have to worry about the other aspects of it. Also, it's very versatile. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's easier to listen to in the car. It's easier to listen to on your way somewhere with some earphones. And you don't have to be sitting for such a long time and focused on doing one thing. It's something that you can do in so many different places. I listen to podcasts all the time, especially driving an hour to the university. I can sometimes hit up two, three podcasts, Mm -hmm. um, plus my walk, the bus ride there, like doing the dishes, doing the laundry, just hanging out. Like podcasts are always playing in the background. And I think it's cool to not always, at least for me, to not always listen to education-based podcasts because it can get a little bit overwhelming and I want to <laughs> go and dip my toe in, into other things. So, you know, listen to health podcasts and, you know, active lifestyle podcasts and motivational podcasts. There, there's so many. The list goes on and on. So um, I think the idea behind having your own podcasts um, is all about knowing that your voice is important and that the conversations like the one we're having right now is important to share and to not just hold for you and me and Jonathan. Um, Mm -hmm. So 
overall, I'm just really thankful that I've had now 36 episodes of guests who are willing to share with me and be vulnerable vulnerable in this space where what you're saying is going to be broadcasted out and we don't know who's going to listen, but that's okay. And we, we stand by what we value and what we have to say and our experiences. And it's, it's that fact that one idea that we could have talked about tonight could spark somebody in their, in their practicum, in their placement, or a teacher or a principal or a tech coach. Like it's amazing. And I'm just really, really thankful to have you guys on tonight. So um, we actually have another classmate here who has been exploring podcasts herself. And so we would like to introduce her just for a second. Yeah, for sure. Her name is Rochelle. Hi, Rochelle. How are you? (laughs) How are you? Very good. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about your podcast exploration. Well, actually, I made a podcast for my media make, and I guess it was really good because Helen <laughs> wanted me to speak to you about it. Okay, um, well, let's, let's do it. It's called um, Secrets of a Student, and I initially created it. At first, I thought it would be not a joke, but a way to like get out my frustration about school <laughs> because mm-hmm. um, it was kind of a play on uh, this show. Called, um, I called it – well, the segment is called um, – or the podcast is – Self is called Secrets of a Student, but I called the first one Dear Teachers. And it's basically like, you know, if you were to write a letter to your teacher, 10 tips or advice coming from a student of what you'd like them to change or know about you. Yeah. So, for example, one of them was Dear Teachers, you're not going to get the best discussions out of your students if they are not comfortable with the people they are talking with. And I just have a, like 10 of those going down the list of what, of how students feel that they may not necessarily you can't necessarily walk up to a teacher and tell them how you actually feel. Yeah. But in a way, the podcast kind of touches on that. And I just go basically on a little rant about each um, tip and why it's frustrating. Or I even have another one that's like, dear teachers, I have a life outside of school. And just it's like a little, like a little parody, almost comedic um, podcast. Mm-hmm. But if I were to continue, I would like, talk about different things like dear students or dear mm-hmm. dad or just all these things that you want to tell someone but you can't, that you wouldn't tell them to their face but I kind of be the voice of students or the voice of the people in a way that's a huge responsibility yeah so um okay two questions so first where can people find this podcast well at the moment I sent it to Helen because I wasn't I sent it to her because I wasn't confident in if it was going to be really good so the fact that she was like, yeah, it's actually, she wanted me to put it on Twitter. So mm-hmm. it may be on Twitter. I might just re- re-record it because now if it's going to be out there, I want it to be perfect. Right. <laughs> um, especially because I didn't think it was a good idea when I first did it. It was just it was just a way for me to get out my frustration. I was like, yeah, this is how I feel. It's a great meeting to make. I'm, it's about how my colleagues feel about school at the moment. So it's great. So it will soon yeah. be on Twitter, hopefully. Perfect. Okay. So I love that it's authentic. That yep. authentic- authenticity piece is huge because you can't be fake and have a podcast. Like no. if, if I genuinely did not want to talk with teacher candidates, well, then I shouldn't have a podcast, right? But it's that passion of all of those conversations and all of those insights and all of those sharing of experiences that really ignite me. And for you, taking on that role of being that voice for those who may not be able to voice these frustrations is 
a really interesting take on um, hosting your own podcast. So how do you um, kind of entail or expect or look at taking on voices of, of people or of experiences that you don't have a lot of experience in? For example, if you want to say like, dear janitors, but you don't you know, really have much experience with janitors or know much about what they do. Like, are you going to go, I don't know. Like I think of doing like a Twitter poll, like poll people who, who would have more insight than you. Yeah. I would, that's exactly what I would do. I do polls, talk, talk to different people because even with the dear teachers, it was like, I didn't come up with all of them by myself. It's kind of right. like I knew a few how I felt. I would talk to others. And when they said that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're right. I feel that way, too. And it's just 10 general things that everyone talks about all the time. And you kind of like when you read it, you go, oh, my gosh, that's how I feel. But that person would not necessarily be the one to say it. Uh-huh. So I definitely talk. just keep talking around. I wouldn't pick topics that I probably wouldn't know anything about. I do probably do things that I or people I come in contact with from a day-to-day basis or yeah like dear bus drivers exactly like dear bu- I was always saying like, dear bus driver dear dear transit just stuff like that mm. or dear mom and dad like dear little brother or yeah. things like that. you know people just like people get frustrated but they won't necessarily tell them to their face you kind of have those 10 tips and advice oh I love it so we started this podcast with three teacher candidates, and now we're at four. So to conclude, I'll have each of you um, just kind of say your name and how people can reach you. How can people get in contact with you? So you can plug that. Um, So we'll start with Jonathan first. Um, At the moment, uh, you can contact me on Twitter at at Jonathan Cowper. Um, Other than that, uh, I don't really have much of a footprint. (laughs) Twitter is a great space. Twitter is the way to go. We'll start there. <laughs> um, Madison? Um, I'm also on Twitter. Um, I'm under at Maddie Prinzen. It's spelled M-A-D-I-P-R-I-N-Z-E-N. Um, besides awesome. that, I have a blog, but I don't know. I could maybe tweet that out and people could see it there. Otherwise, they can see me working with DHL and through this course. Pretty much. Amazing. And that's where they can find hopefully Jonathan's future podcast and your future podcast. And yeah. Rochelle, what's your Twitter? Uh, my Twitter is Rochelle G95. So R O C H E L L E, the letter G95. All right. And we will definitely be seeing your podcast on there. It will, it will definitely be coming out sooner than later. Sooner than later, hopefully. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks for for having us. us. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Kesara Sara with me, Sarah Ann Lalone. You can stay connected with me on Twitter at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Lalone, L-A-L-O-N-D-E-E. And you can also find my podcast on iTunes under Kesara Sara.